Judges chapter 1. Judges 1, and we're, we're going to look at basically just kind of a high-level overview of this chapter. We're going to read a, a chunk of it as we go along, um, not every verse, but, but many of them. And as you're turning here to Judges chapter 1, I want to read a verse. You don't need to turn there. I just want to read this verse to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 10 to remind us about the type of stuff that we're reading here. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 11 is in the context of all of these Old Testament stories that we're reading. And it says this, Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages have come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. So what we need to realize is that when we're back here reading some of these stories of these great conquests through Joshua, Judges, you get into Ruth and those stories, these are more than just entertaining Bible stories for children that we read at night. It's more than just kind of like almost like a motion picture that you read and it's like, wow, that was a neat story. No, there are principles here in this text, according to the New Testament, that when we go back and read texts like Judges chapter 1, we ought to be asking the question, what are the principles here that I need to take heed to lest I fall? That's the way that the New Testament says we should apply the Old Testament, especially in these narrative or story sections. Amen. Judges chapter 1, verse 1. After the death of Joshua, the people of Israel inquired of the Lord, Who shall go up for us first against the Canaanites to fight against them? So the context here in Judges chapter 1 is best understood in the context of Joshua and Judges and how they work together. And Joshua, just as a high-level overview, was really about taking the land. So Joshua comes in, they cross the sea, they go over... Jericho, Ai, and they start pushing forward, and there's this conquest that happens throughout the book of Joshua, and what we see here is that the the decisive, the major blow has been dealt to the Canaanites, and then when you get into Judges chapter 1, what's happening here is the various tribes of Israel are working out that decisive blow For themselves. So they are starting to work out the major thing has been done. Now we need to go finish taking the land. And in many ways, this is where the Christian finds themselves at also. The decisive blow happened in your life at salvation. When you became a Christian, you didn't just make a choice in your mind where you got out of the line going to hell and you got in the line going to heaven. It's not like joining you know, a yacht club or something like that. Becoming a Christian means that something happened inside of you. You became new. In Christ, we're a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And the decisive blow has been made against sin in your life. And yet we know enough to know that that does not mean that there's no longer struggle with sin. We find ourselves, much like the tribes in Judges chapter 1, needing to work this thing out. And so what I want to talk to you about this morning, Lord willing, is five things that we'll bring out from this text here in Judges chapter 1 about fighting sin. Fighting sin. 
And when I say fighting sin, I was thinking about this a lot this week, I have to be careful with phrases like that because we can kind of become religious in our thinking. So we talk about fighting sin as kind of this religious thing that's segmented to one part of our life or something like that, and it's not attached to reality. It's kind of like a, kind of like a dream world. We're fighting sin. We're doing these religious things. But when we talk about fighting sin, we're talking about some real 8 to 5 Christianity stuff right here. It's stuff like when we talk about fighting sin, we're talking about things like how you interact with your spouse, And as Andy preached this morning, it was so encouraging, things like anger with your kids. Are you blowing up at your kids? We're talking about fighting that kind of sin. We're talking about things that you look at on the internet. We're talking about fighting that kind of sin. We're talking about things that come out of your mouth that should not, like maybe gossip or slander, or things that do not come out of your wallet that should, because you're greedy. So when we're talking about fighting sin, it's not this thing that's disconnected from what we're in every single day of our lives. And that's why the New Testament is constantly in command form giving what this narrative is giving to us. When when Paul says stuff like, um, put off the old man and put on the new man. He's saying, listen, the decisive blow has been made, but you've got to fight sin. You've got to put on the new man. And it's what Christ means when he says, you've got to take up your cross daily. He's saying, listen, follow me, but there's a fight involved in this. There's a fight. It's not just this passive thing. You just don't wake up and the new man comes falling on you every single morning. You just, man, this is great. There are some days like that. Some, every once in a while, maybe. Let me know if you experience one. (laughs) Most days, it is just an all-out war to believe the truth and to stand against these things especially relational things things like you know an inordinate amount of time on social media but you have no time to be in your bible like i said things that come out of your mouth talking about fighting sin so let's talk about this five things that we learned there's a lot of There's some overlap here, and we'll look at the same thing from different angles, but I think it's helpful. So here we go. Number one, we need each other in this fight against sin. Let's read chapter, uh, let's read uh, verses two through four. The Lord said, Judah shall go up. Behold, I have given the land into his hand. And Judah said to Simeon, his brother, come with me. And to the allotted, and to the territory allotted me that we may fight against the Canaanites. And I likewise will go with you into the territory allotted to you. So Simeon went with him. Then Judah went up and the Lord gave the Canaanites and Perizzites into their hands and they defeated 10,000 of them at Bezek. So you see the point there. We need each other in this fight against sin. Judah tells Simeon, you help me, I'll help you. And that's actually exactly what happened. Down in verse 17, we read this. And Judah went with Simeon, his brother, and they defeated the Canaanites who inhabited Zephath and devoted it to destruction so that the name of the city was Hormah. What is significant here in this relationship that they've banded together to fight against these Canaanites, just like we need to band together to fight against sin, is that Simeon is generally thought of as one of the least tribes. You don't hear a lot about Simeon. 
And it's pretty generally agreed that if you were to start ranking the tribes in order of importance, Simeon is probably not going to be near the top. On the other hand, Judah is probably one of the most important tribes, if not the most important. The Lord Jesus comes from Judah. So what does this teach us? The the point is, and what this teaches us here, is that it doesn't matter if you're one of the so-called greats or you're one of the so-called least in your own mind. We need each other. There is no one in the church that is so strong that you do not need the weakest brother. And there is no brother here or sister who is so weak that you can't help the strong. That's what's happening here in Judges chapter 1. They've banded together to fight. And that's exactly the point that Paul is making in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Um, You don't need to turn there. Let me just read you this text. It says, For just as the body has many members, and all the members, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. God arranged the members in the body, each of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Judah can't tell Simeon, I don't need you. Judah's the one that goes to him, he's like, I need you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And that is such a good word for some of you this morning. You know, we can talk a lot. It's very easy to err on the side of everything is for the glory of God and man is base and et cetera, et cetera. And there, there's truth in that. Apart from Christ, we can do nothing. But there's also this reality taught in the Bible that you are indispensable to the body of Christ. If you are a Christian, you are indispensable. We need you. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there be no divisions but that the members may have the same care for one another. We need each other in this fight against sin. It's pretty significant that one of the most well-known verses in the Bible, Galatians 6.1, among Christians, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. The context of that verse is, Brother, if anyone's caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. The context of bearing one another's burdens is in the fight of sin. And if we're, but if we're not careful, we can recoil at that. There seems to be something in human nature that when somebody's in trouble, everybody wants to back away. I can remember growing up, um, I have three dear sisters, and we would all be doing something. And, we're, man, we'd be, we'd be tight. This was rare that we were all doing something and that we were tight. But... Um, We'd be going along playing with something, and then one of us would get in trouble, and all of a sudden the other three felt an overwhelming urge to go clean up their room. It's like nobody wanted to be around the person in trouble. It's like, we're cheering for you. We'll be in here if you need us. It is not that way in the body of Christ. We need each other in this fight of sin. And so if you see somebody stumbling or falling or something is happening, man, I tell you, I already knew this from living with myself, but especially being a a pastor, it just reinforced to me, true Christians can really go through some stuff. 
really go through some stuff. And we, we have a high view of conversion, as we should, but we must never lose this sight that it is possible for a, Christ, a true Christian to backslide and to, to get really low and start battling against sin and start losing. And there's a lot that can be said here, but the point that I'm making is this. We need to surround people that are struggling. The body of Christ needs each other. Now, the flip side of this, which is actually somehow harder, is we not only need to be people who are willing to come around people that are struggling with sin, we also need to be willing to be vulnerable ourselves. It's very easy to be the person that swoops in and tries to save the day. It's a very different thing when you're the one that's locked in this sinful pattern And you can see that you're losing grip and you're starting losing ground. Your responses to your wife or husband are starting to get more consistently wrong. You're struggling with greed more consistently. Gossip or lying is falling out of your mouth. You're just like, man, I'm starting to lose my handle on this. Those clicks on the internet are getting more frequent. Starting to lose ground there. It's a very different thing in that situation to be the person that goes up to one of the saints and says, brother, sister, I need you. We need that too. You need that level of humility because the thing is this, in sin and when you're struggling with sin, the one thing the devil is going to try and do is isolate you. I think I've said this before. It says of that demoniac, it says those demons would often drive him out to lonely places. Man, they wanted to get him disconnected from truth. And that's what will happen to you. And so we can't forget what we see here with Judah and Simeon. You help me. I'll help you. We're just trying to get to heaven. And we can't do this without one another. So that's point number one. Point number two, we need to fight all sin. That's what we see in 5 through 18. And we'll read some portions of this. They start marching south and then they kind of hook west And they fight every single Canaanite stronghold that they they find. Verse 5. They found Adonai Bezek at Bezek and fought against him and defeated the Canaanites and the Perizzites. And the men of Judah fought against Jerusalem and captured it and struck it with the edge of the sword. That was verse 8. And set the city on fire. And afterward, the men of Judah went down to fight against the Canaanites who lived in the hill country and the Negev, and in the lowland. And Judah went against the Canaanites who lived in Hebron. Now the name of Hebron was formerly Kiriath Arba, and they defeated Shishai, and Hamayan, and Talmai. And from there they went against the inhabitants of Deber. The name of Deber was formerly Kiriath Sefer. Verse 16. And the descendants of the Kenite, Moses' father-in-law, went up against the people of Judah from the city of Palms into the wilderness of Judah, which lies in the Negev uh, near Arad. And they went and settled with the people. And Judah went with Simeon, his brother, and they defeated the Canaanites who inhabited Zephath and devoted it to destruction. So the name of that city was called Hormah. Judah also captured Gaza with its territory and Ashkelon with its territory and Ekron with its territory. They start marching south and they hook west and every single Canaanite stronghold they find, they fight. The key phrase here is in verse 9 where it says, The men of Judah went down to fight against the Canaanites who lived in the hill country and the Negev and in the lowland. There was no Canaanite that these people were not willing to fight. And it must be the same way in the Christian life. 
there must not be a sin that we are not willing to fight against. And that is generally the difference between true Christianity and everybody else in the world. It's the difference between fighting against sins and fighting against sin. Even the world in general is willing to fight against sins. They fight against uh, oppression. They're willing to fight against the sin of oppression when they see it. In many ways, they're willing to even fight against uh, you know, fidelity and faithfulness and things like that, especially when it applies to someone else. They're willing to fight for people to uh, tell the truth, like I said, especially when it comes to someone else. But there are a lot of times is a, a basic morality there, and there are some categories that even the world is willing to fight against some sins. But that's what makes the Christian different. The Christian just doesn't fight against sins, a few of these categories. The Christian fights against sin. We're like these We're like these crusaders marching down through. In every Canaanite stronghold we encounter, we are to fight against. And so here's what we need to be aware of. There can be a danger of living in a circle. In a circle. And by a circle, I mean simply a sphere of influence. And the thing that you need to realize that is you have one. We have spheres of influences. We have people that we appreciate as preachers that we generally listen to. I hope that we're not just listening inside of our little circle that is so dangerous. But there's generally, you know, spheres of influence on the level of a church, even non-denominational churches, right? We know who who a lot of the people we we associate with. We need to be aware of that. There can become a sphere or a circle around a family. You get this sphere or circle of influence around your friend group. You just need to realize that you live inside of these circles and here is the danger of living in a circle. Is in that circle, it is very possible for some sins to become permissible, right? You're hearing from the same general influences all the time and there kind of gets to be this underlying agreement that there are a few things that we don't like but we're not really going to stand against while the vast majority, 98% of these other things, we're going to take really strong stands against. And that can happen in a church, especially when problems start to crop up. It can become okay to start talking about some of the problems because there's just these problems there. And so subtly what begins to happen is gossip and slander can become okay because it really is a problem and it feels right and it's frustrating. That can happen on the level of a church. It can also be on the level of a church, you can have worldliness start to creep in. There's certain worldly habits that become okay. There can also be authoritarianism that starts to step in where you get these husbands that are domineering over their wives and because you have a lot of these types of People that kind of run in and have similar influences, it's not something that doesn't get confronted. This can happen on the family level. It's one thing to come in a church, have everything right, have everything going, you know, presenting yourself there. But when you get in the family, there can be certain types of sins that become okay. This can happen, oh, let me warn you young people. This can happen in friend groups. Even among a bunch of professing Christians, subtly influences start creeping in that become okay. It's like your conscience is bothering you at first, but the kind of the the general feel of the friend group is that this thing is kind of okay. We're not really going to attack it very hard. We're just going to kind of leave it there. 
So the main thing that you need to get out of this point is that you are in a circle. You can't get outside of it. All the people that are independent thinkers, they're in the independent thinker circle. (laughs) Right? We all have circles. So you need to realize you are in a circle. You have influences. And just about every circle I've ever encountered has a blind spot. You need to realize what those are. And that's why it is so important, number one, to be listening to people outside of your circle. That's very helpful, that are speaking the truth, have a high view of conversion, have a high view of the word. But also, be reading the word cover to cover as much as you can. Chip away at it. I don't know who said that we have to read the Bible in a year. You would think that was canonical. Like there's some verse in Proverbs, Proverbs 32.1, you must read your Bible every single year. That's not the case. For some of you, you're not going to be able to do that. Shoot for every two years. But the point is this. Be consistently in the Word and read, read large portions of across the Word so that you're not just kind of stuck reading the verses that are okay in your circle. All right? We need to be aware of these things, and we need to fight all sin. There should not be one safe sin in this place. Safe people, Okay? This should be a safe place to struggle. Point number one, we need each other, but no safe sins. No safe sins. Point number three, the fight often takes time. Chapter 1, verse 19. And the Lord was with Judah, and he took possession of the hill country, but he could not drive out the inhabitants of the plain because they had chariots of iron. They were able, Judah was able to take some ground in the hill country, but they go against um, them in the plain and they didn't fall immediately. And here's what I want to, I want to belabor this just a little bit because I think this is so important. I don't think this is because God was displeased with them or because they were not obeying. And I have three quick reasons why I believe that's so. Why the fact that they did not drive these people out immediately is not because they were under judgment or doing the wrong thing. It is simply because sometimes, oftentimes, this fight takes time. Number one, notice that we are specifically told the Lord was with Judah. Right? That's what pre, that's the, the prefix on this verse. The Lord was with Judah and his presence always means blessing and favor. Number two, when Israel is reprimanded in chapter two, verse two, it is not because the fight took some time. They get reprimand, reprimanded because they made a covenant with the Canaanites eventually instead of fighting them until they're gone. So when God goes to correct Israel on this whole thing, this mess that's going to eventually unfold in chapter 1, he doesn't correct them because the fight took some time. He corrects them and reprimands them because they eventually make a covenant with him. And number three, and this may be the strongest point, is God himself said this would be a process. God himself said this fight was going to take some time. Let me just read you this text from Exodus 23, starting in 27. Here's what God says about this. He says, I will send my terror before you and will throw you into confusion. And will let me start that over. He's not going to throw them into any confusion. Exodus 23, 27. I will send my terror before you and will throw into confusion all the people against whom you shall come. And I will make all your enemies turn their backs and I will send hornets before you which shall drive out the Hivites and the Canaanites and the Hittites before you. 
I will not drive them out from you in a single year, lest the land become desolate and wild beasts multiply against you. Deuteronomy chapter 7 actually records the exact same thing, except it's this little phrase that should encourage you. He will drive them out. It says, little by little. And don't you feel that sometimes? Because what, what you can hear in the first part of this sermon can start to get pretty discouraging. It's like, man, I'm supposed to fight against all sin. Like, I know that. Intuitively, I know that. But there have been things that you've been battling so long. And the first and second year of your Christianity, you thought, man, I bet by year 15, like, I'm probably not going to be the Apostle Paul, but, like, I could be probably pretty close. And you get to year 15, you're like, man, I am not even close I'm still struggling with some of those same things that I've struggled with all along. And we'll get to this later. This is not talking about a person that has settled, keyword, into a pattern of disobedience. Settled into a pattern of disobedience. This is talking about the person like me that has things in their life that they are still fighting that they thought they would be done fighting years ago. But here's the comfort for you. And this, God did not say this thing was going to happen overnight. God says little by little. And God often does things. Man, he moves so much slower than we would often like. And there are these things in your life that are there, and they can be so discouraging. Um, I can remember um, some things that were really helpful to us. Uh, You know, when we... (laughs) first started having kids. Somebody actually sent me a video on this. I got to chuckle. It was a comedian. He was talking about having kids. You're like, it's like you're out in the middle of the ocean and you're treading water and you're very tired, but you, you feel like, man, I, I can, I can do this. I can barely do this, but I can do this. And then somebody hands you a baby. And that's an, that's a very different thing. And what you feel like is you feel like you've started over and you're no longer making, it's not that you're not even making progress. You feel like, man, I'm like worse than I've ever been. And all these things start coming out from inside of you. All those things that you thought were gone and they're still there. But God says, no, it's going to be little by little. And so if progress for you is not happening as fast in the Christian life as you would hope, I would encourage you, don't settle down, but don't get discouraged. Today is a new day. Past unbelief cannot hinder you. The only thing that can hinder you is present unbelief and the Christian life is often little by little. Don't hear me saying like we don't radically fight. I mean, we radically fight. But this is what the Bible's teaching. And we see that played over and over in the New Testament. Little by little. This fight often takes time. Point number four. It is dangerous to leave even one sin unfought. And what we have here in verses 21, there, there's a turning Okay, there's, there's, there's going to be a subtle turn in the text, and you're start, about to start to see kind of a downward spiral here. And it's signaled by this in verse 21. It says, But the people of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites who lived in Jerusalem. So the Jebusites have lived with the people in Benjamin in Jerusalem to this day. Okay, there's, that's what I was warning against. The settling down. There's no longer the fight there. Regarding this particular story that we're about to read, it's hard to tell whether what these guys did was the right thing or the wrong thing. But the point of the text, I think, will be made clear. 
So let's read this in 22. The house of Joseph also went up against Bethel, and the Lord was with them. And the house of Joseph scouted out Bethel. Now the name of the place was formerly Luz. And the spies saw a man coming out of the city, and they said to him, Please show us the way into the city, and we will deal kindly with you. And he showed them the way in the city, and they struck the city with the edge of the sword, but they let the man and all his family go. And the man went to the land of the Hittites and built a city, and he called its name Luz. That is its name to this day. Whether what they did was right here by letting this man go or whether it's not is not the point of this text. The point of this text is this. What you let go today, what you let slide today, will become a city tomorrow. It will become a city tomorrow. There has to be a radical fight against sin. There's a temptation just to let some things slide through. And, it's, and this is especially a temptation with your young Young people, let me just warn you about this. I'm talking to all of you. I've been talking to all of you all along. I hope you can follow me. But I'm especially talking to you if you're young right now. The temptation for you is to think, when I get a little older, then I'm really going to start following Jesus. Let me tell you what happens. A bunch of my friends did that, and you know what they're doing? Not following Jesus. Because they were thinking in their mind, there's some things... There's some sin in my life. I'm just going to let that slide today. And then sometime later on down the road, maybe when I'm a teenager, maybe when I'm a young adult, get married or whatever, then I'm really going to start following Jesus. Well, let me tell you what happens to that sin that you let slide today, like lying to your parents, not doing what they tell you to do, having a kind of a rebellious attitude, the type of attitude that when they tell you something, something just rares up inside of you. You start talking back to them and you don't want to do what they're doing and you're just you're not fully like really trying to follow Jesus those little things that seem like little sins today you let them slide and tomorrow they're like this story this man who got away and he became a city and that city remained the city remained so many of my friends growing up we would even talk about this that when we got older we were really going to start following Jesus and the great majority of them didn't and so if you're a young person here today, here's what I would just plead with you. Follow Jesus today. Be the person that fights against sin today. Trust him today. And adults, everyone, this is a warning to us. The thing that you let slide today will become a city tomorrow. My sisters, um, I mentioned them, my oldest sister, love her to death. She's dealing with breast cancer right now. My grandmother is dealing with um, cancer of the blood vessels of the head, and they are both having radical procedures done here very soon. Because that's the thing about cancer. You know, it almost seems like these doctors are going a little bit overboard because they set them down, they're like, all right, we're going to do chemo. I don't know if you, many of you know what chemo is and what it does to your body. I mean, it's horrible. It's like poison you're having to drink. And then we're going to do radiation. And when we're finally done with all that, then we're going to do surgery. It's this thing that's just like, it's so invasive, so life-altering. Because here's the thing about cancer. If you leave even the smallest bit of cancer in there left today, guess what it does? It keeps growing. And it will not stop. And you can ignore it. I have a, someone that was very dear to me that went to the doctors, said that she thought she was having a problem. They didn't believe her. Well, 
What it ended up being is a major form of cancer. And by the time they took her seriously, the thing had basically taken over her entire body because that's what cancer does. You leave a little bit of cancer in a day, and guess what happens tomorrow? The thing has built a city inside of you. And you know what's worse than cancer? Sin. Cancer will kill the body. Sin will kill the soul. It is important to fight against sin. It's dangerous to leave even one sin unfault, un, unfault and unchallenged. Number five, lastly, it is dangerous to tolerate sin. Start in verse 27. You'll see the downward spiral here. Manasseh did not drive out the inhabitants of Beth Shin in its villages, or Tanik in its villages, or the inhabitants of Dor in its villages, or the inhabitants of Iblium and its villages, or the inhabitants of Megiddo and its villages. For the Canaanites persisted in dwelling in that land. Here's the key text. When Israel grew strong, okay? So that's what we're talking about here, and that's one of my arguments why, I believe it was point two, no, point three, that this thing takes some time. It takes some time to drive out the Canaanites sometimes, but there's going to come a point when the decisive blow can be dealt. And here they are. All right? They've been fighting. They've been butting heads. Now they're finally strong enough to really drive this thing out. And here's what happens. When Israel grew strong, they put the Canaanites to forced labor, but they did not drive them out completely. And Ephraim did not drive the Canaanites out who lived in Gezer. So the Canaanites lived in Gezer among them. Zebulun did not drive out the Canaanites of Kitron and the inhabitants of Nalal, so the Canaanites lived among them but became subject to forced labor. Asher did not drive out the inhabitants of Acho or Acho or the inhabitants of Sidon or of Alab or of Axib or of Helba or of Aphek or of Rehob. So the Asherites lived among the Canaanites, the inhabitants of the land, for they did not drive them out. Naphtali did not drive out the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh or the inhabitants of Beth Anoth. So they lived among the Canaanites, the inhabitants of the land. Nevertheless, the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh and Beth Anoth became subjects to forced labor for them. The Amorites pressed the people of Dan back into the hill country, for they did not allow them to come down into the plains. So now they're actually checking them and moving them back. The Amorites persisted in dwelling in Mount Heres and in Agilon and in Shabilam. But the hand of the house of Joseph rested heavily upon them, and they became subject to forced labor. And the border of the Amorites ran from the ascent of Akrabim from Selah and upward. Now the angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochum, and he said, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you into the land that I swore to give to your fathers. I said, I will never break my covenant with you, and you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of the land. You shall break down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. You see what happens here. Like I said, the pivotal point comes in verse 28. Israel grows strong. It is time to end this battle. God has been giving grace all along to keep pressure and keep fighting, but now grace is there to go ahead and end this thing once and for all, and instead of ending sin, they tried to make it useful. 
Instead of ending sin, they tried to make it useful and they put them to forced labor. But here's the thing. God did not say these Canaanites were not useful. And on a worldly level, some sin, at least in the temporal, seems to be useful. God didn't say they weren't useful. He said they were spiritual cancer and they will kill you. And that's the way it is with sin. It is a dangerous thing to start tolerating sin and to start trying to make it useful. And here's where you need to watch, you need to check the things that you watch on Netflix and Amazon Prime. Rachel and I are definitely not against TV, movies, things like that. They can be so useful. But we have started a few series that we eventually had to turn off pretty early on because we started, we started to see this is going to be just like trying to put these Canaanites to forced labor, right? You start tolerating sin in the name of, I just need to relax. I just need to relax. This is such a warning for us because you fight sin over and over and over and year after year after year and you start to get tired and you just want some rest and respite. And so subtly you start to tolerate some sins that you once were ready to er eradicate and when the time comes, you try and make them useful. Well, it may be useful very in a very temporal sense, but it is spiritual cancer and it will take your life. It is like fire. There's been a couple of times in my life, if you've ever done anything with fire, you know about this. You've got this fire, and you think you've got it all the way out. I mean, it may, be, it may be smoldering a little bit, or the smoldering may be so small that you can't even see it anymore. And I don't know how many times I've had that happen where it looks like this fire is gone, and then you come out a couple of my, uh, hours later or the next morning, and lo and behold, like, you know, this big patch is burned or the thing's kindled back up. Why? Because if you leave a little bit, it's going to flare up and come back. You've got to fight the thing all the way until it's finished. And that's what they were not willing to do here. They were not willing to do. Well, these are just a few thoughts to encourage us to keep fighting sin. Let's pray. God, we thank you that we don't have to fight alone, Lord. We don't have to be alone. You've given us a family here. Lord, I know one of the verses I hear quoted here a lot is that you put the solitary in families. And, Lord, that's what you've done. And so I pray if there are people here today, Lord, that do not feel knit into the body for whatever reason, Lord, that that would be dealt with and um, that every saint here would feel like they are a part, Lord. If there's something that needs to be done, some forgiveness that needs to be asked for some other person or there's division here in any way, Lord, would you please address that because it's very clear from this text in the New Testament that we need each other. But Lord, you also said that you would never leave us or forsake us. And you also said that he who began this good work would carry it on to completion. And so that's our hope in fighting sin. And Lord, would you help us not to settle down, not to compromise, but to fight harder and longer than we ever have before for the glory of Christ. We just pray this in Christ's name. Amen.
Amen. Must be dismissed.